I hope to make a few other remarks about verse 23 and then move on. So let's look at it. As Elijah said, let them therefore give us two bullocks. We are in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 23, for those of you who just joined us. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. I will dress. This tells us that Elijah took this task upon himself. In fact, as we go through the next few verses, you're going to see that there are several things, several acts, Elijah appears to perform by himself, as there are singular pronouns used to describe his part in those actions. How many of you have ever dressed a deer? I don't mean put a sweater on it. I mean dressed a deer. How about a hog or a bullock? I haven't dressed a bullock, but I've dressed the other two. Let me tell you, it's hard work, especially with the larger animals. It's much faster when you have help. However, this is a good place to learn a hard truth about serving God. Sometimes you have to do the hard work by yourself. So do it in faith and don't complain. Should others help? Yes, they should. But when God calls you to a task, whether anyone else joins the effort or not, be sure you do it. And this was Elijah's task this day. Although he had many able-bodied people in that audience. He did this by himself. He dressed out this bullock. He said, I will dress. And although God is always with you in spirit, directing your path when you do these things, you're not truly alone. But there may be nobody else on the other end of the saw. You keep sawing. An example I thought of well, uh, three weeks ago, but my oldest daughter made me proud, very proud recently. She and her family attend a large church in Rockwall, and she and my son-in-law recently began teaching a small group, a Sunday school, for fourth graders. He takes the boys, she takes the girls. She told me there were some classes with up to 40 children in them for one teacher. And so my wife asked her, why were there so many students per teacher? And my daughter said, because nobody wants to serve. And the reason I was so proud of her was that it showed her continuing spiritual growth. And all of you who are parents in here know what I'm talking about. You pray for your children's salvation. And when they're saved, you pray for their faithfulness. You pray for their growth, and then you pray as they mature that God will show them where they need to serve him as he's given them the the ability. There was a time when I was thankful that my daughter became a believer. And then there was a time when I was thankful for when she began to study her Bible and was faithful in church. And now she's become faithful in service. Even if the classes are large and difficult, even when she has to dress the bullock by herself. 
And although Elijah probably wondered, does anyone else want to serve God? He didn't let it stop him from doing the hard work. You know, sometimes the reaction a Christian will have, and it's not a good one, is if he or she looks around and sees that everyone else is content to let the grass grow. Everyone else is content to leave things undone. Then perhaps that Christian will sit down too and say, well, if they're not going to do it, I'm not. Well, that's not the proper response to something God gives you to do. And although it would have been nice for Elijah to have another servant of the Lord help him bear the burden of dressing that bullock, it was in either case Elijah's burden to bear. And it says in the text in verse 23, and put no fire under. Now this was a departure from a normal Levitical sacrifice. And when you study the sacrifices in the Old Testament, those various offerings and how they're to be conducted, you you see that at some point the offering is in many cases burnt. It is burnt. And Elijah said, here, put no fire under. Don't do what the priest would do when they would offer a sacrifice. Now, we learned in chapter 17 when we were introduced to Elijah that he was a Tishbite, not a Levite. And although we can't be absolutely certain from which Israeli tribe he came, it is most likely that he came from the half-tribe of Manasseh, one of Joseph's sons. Remember, the scripture said he was a Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. And so Gilead proceeded from Manasseh. It doesn't mean he was a Gileadite, but he was a Tishbite who was of the inhabitants of a place called Gilead. So that's about as close as we can get as uh, far as I can tell to knowing where Elijah came from in the matter of the tribes. But this sacrifice was not a Levitical sacrifice. It was not a sin offering or a peace offering. It was a burnt offering that would prove to the doubters and the unbelievers who God was. That was going to be the purpose of it. Verse 24, and Elijah continues, And call ye on the name of your gods, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. Now, if you're looking down at your text right now, notice that God is capitalized in both of these cases. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Let's look at the construction of this verse for just a moment. First, the word gods with a little g is from the Hebrew Elohim. And when Brother Wade taught last week, he talked about Elohim as the translation was from Hebrew to the English in Genesis chapter 1. And so this is the name used for God as well. But it's used for God's plural with a little g in this passage. It's used as the name for God who is one God in three persons. So it's actually a plural noun. And for this passage, it's used to describe not one God with a little g, but more than one God. Here is a problem. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. When you look at the word gods with the little g, the plural word gods, 
it falls on its face because it's plural. I just noticed that yesterday as I was studying. Its singular form, God, means a ruler, a judge, or one who is mighty. The plural word gods violates a well-established management principle called unity of command. And the principle of unity of command means that all subordinates, all servants answer to one ruler. And let's take my profession, for example. There are many people in my agency who outrank me. We're sergeants and captains, chief deputies, and, of course, the sheriff. But there is only one sergeant to whom I answer directly. And in answering to him, I answer to those in my chain of command. But if I have a problem or a request or I'm given an order, that's going to go through my sergeant except in some sort of emergency situation. What I don't have are two sergeants, one over here and one over here, and sometimes he's the boss of me and sometimes he's the boss of me, and I'm having to turn my head like I'm at a tennis match to figure out whose rule or whose uh, order I'm supposed to follow. That violates the principle of unity of command. That's why I have one sergeant. And if you've worked anywhere, whether it's in the civilian sector or the police or military sector, you've had the same thing. You answered to a boss, and that boss answered to another boss, and and so forth. So the word gods has a problem (laughs) because there can only be one God. Having two sergeants, or in the case of these unbelievers, these worshipers of Baal, having two gods to whom they must answer, creates confusion, and it creates mixed signals. So the word gods falls on its face. You know, the Apostle Paul reinforced this principle, if you would like to write down Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. Listen for the principle of unity of command in this passage. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Now listen to this. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now do you see how that passage right there tells us it is impossible to have two sergeants? (laughs) You can't do it. You are either the servant of Christ, you either please Christ, or you're the servant of men. And in the Galatian passage there that I just read you, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and believing another gospel are mutually exclusive. You can't believe both. You could not believe two gospels. Pleasing men 
and pleasing God are also mutually exclusive. Now, by pleasing God, there may be times where man is pleased. Well, I think if if I found a, a man's wallet laying in the bar ditch and perhaps this man were a heathen and I returned his wallet to him and said, sir, I found your wallet and everything that I found is still in the wallet. And I believe even an unbeliever would say, oh, thank you. That makes me happy. That makes my day. And it also pleases God. It's one or the other, isn't it? And he said, for if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. That tells us you can't serve man and Christ. And as a Christian, the principle of unity of command is non-negotiable. Let's apply this truth to our text. How can Baal worshipers have gods rather than a God? Even if that one God to them is Baal. Not only have they picked the wrong God, but they have too many gods for any of them to truly be God. Who would you listen to? Whose message would you believe? Which preacher of which God has more truth than the other? Whose Sunday school class do you go to? What a mess. Now look back in the text when he said in verse 24, And call ye, he said, call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. To call, to cry out or proclaim, even to name your God. And then the Lord here is Jehovah, who is the self-existing one. That's what that means. Jehovah is the self-existing one. That means God has always been. There was never a time when he was not. Now he says, the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And I want you to notice right there that in both cases, God is capitalized. Elijah mentioned at least three entities prior to this. He mentioned gods, which is at least two, if not more. He mentioned the Lord, all caps, which is Jehovah. And then, of course, he mentions God, Elohim. But Elijah showed his great faith right here in two things. He showed his great faith by using only God with a capital G, Elohim, and not God's. Number one, only God with a capital G could answer by fire. That's an insinuation he made when he put and the God with a capital G that answereth by fire, because there's only one who could answer by fire. And he went out on a limb and said, it's God with a capital G. And two, only God could be God. Because he said, the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And he put a capital G there, which limits it to only one God, and that is Elohim. Elijah did not say, if the gods answer by fire, let them be God. And if God answers by fire, let him be God. He said, if God, and the God with a capital G that answereth by fire, let him be God. There was only one possibility of the outcome 
in Elijah's mind. Because he knew those other gods were non-existent. Now, what does Jehovah mean? The self-existing one. And the other gods were non-existing gods. They were constructed in the imaginations of the evil hearts of these unbelievers. And those evil imaginations were given to them by the God of this world, Satan, who is not, by the way, self-existing. He was a created being. He was created perfectly as an angel. He was one of God's perfect created beings, and he sinned voluntarily and got himself cast out of heaven. But he was a created being, and therefore he cannot be the one true God either. On the other hand, God was self-existent. A non-existent God can neither start a fire nor be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Back in verse 24, this allowed them to, you might think, oh, that's a wonderful thing to say. And it was. But it also allowed them to to sit by and wait for a demonstration before they decided which side they were going to gravitate to, who they thought was God. Walking by sight, not by faith. How is that? Whoever answered by fire, that's the one we'll serve right there. Their minds should have already been made up before this demonstration that they would serve the Lord, just as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The extension of that truth is whether he has to answer by fire or not, we will serve the Lord. If God has to prove to you that he is God by these visible signs and wonders throughout your life, do you really have faith? No, you don't. Your faith is weak. How about your faith being in God because he is who he says he is. He has done what he has said he will do. Therefore, he will do what he says he is going to do, whether you get to see it with your eyes or not. But these people, even Obadiah, remember him? Obadiah, the, the servant of the Lord, who lived and was a governor in Ahab's house, If he was here, and I have no reason to believe he wasn't because Ahab was, he didn't step up and say, hold on a minute. I'm going to help you dress that bullock, first of all. And I'm going to help you put this altar together, as we'll see in a moment. I'm going to help. I'm a servant of the Lord, too. No, but I didn't stick his neck out there. He was a little bit fearful, wasn't he? Let's look in verse 25. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. Now this was the Baal, the, the Baal prophet's opportunity to present a beautifully arranged sacrifice before their gods. Why, with 450 of them, it wouldn't take long, would it, to make the sacrifice ready and to make, lay the wood in order and make it a beautiful present for their gods. And when he said, when Elijah said to them, put no fire under, this lets us know that it was also the habit of Baal worshipers to offer sacrifices by fire. I wonder where they got that idea from. Verse 26, and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it 
and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. They called on the name of Baal. That is, they cried out. They proclaimed the name of Baal. And they did so from morning even until noon. I take that to mean that it was about a six-hour event, but if it was uh, mid-morning, three hours, it just says from morning until noon. They cried out uh, during all of that time. They cried out to a dead God to hear their prayer. What a foolish thing to do. And the word voice here used in verse 26, it says, but there was no voice. That word is translated, it's a very strong word. It's translated as the word noise, but ten times it is translated as the word thunder. So picture that, a voice, a thundering voice. There was none of that. It said, nor any that answered. That is, none that gave evidence, none that testified, even without a thunderous voice. There was no evidence that Baal heard anything at all from these prophets who had been crying out and calling on his name for those six hours. They could not claim the promise that Elijah could claim. The same one God promised to Jeremiah there in chapter 33, verse 3 of Jeremiah when he was in prison, where God said to him, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, (laughs) and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Baal's prophets called unto their God, and he did not answer them. Why is that? Because he was a dead God. He was no God. He was a figment of their imagination. And then it said in response, now that their God doesn't thunder a voice back to them, now that their God doesn't even show signs of having heard their prayers, it says at the end of verse 26, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. And we looked at this Hebrew word for leaped previously. It was also translated as the word Passover or spring as one would leap or uh, the word limp as well. So it had a wide application, but here the application would be jumping or springing on as you can picture these prophets of Baal and their zeal jumping up on top of this altar that they had made. And if their God was real though, they took a big chance, didn't they? Because what was the test going to be? The God that answereth by fire. Well, now they're standing on the altar where the offering was. And if their God were real, they sure took a chance of being burned alive in case their God answered by fire. But the reality, the truth is, they were absolutely safe from Baal's fire because he wasn't real, so he had no fire to give. Now it says in verse 26, upon the altar which was made, which was made. You see, the servants of Baal had made an altar. But it was not one that God ever commanded to be made. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 through 9, Exodus 25, verses 8 through 9, God told Moses this, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all instruments, all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. 
You see the word pattern twice in that passage. There was only one pattern after which man was to make an altar. And that was the pattern God showed to Moses. This is critical. There was one pattern after which man was to make an altar, and it was the one God showed Moses. And there was only one acceptable altar on which to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And that was the brazen altar, the brass altar, made after the pattern which God showed Moses. This altar, quote, which was made, this altar of Baal, which was made, was therefore an illegitimate altar. And it was made to serve a non-existent, illegitimate God. Look at the activity of these priests so far. They've killed a bullet. They put it on an altar of their own God, of the making of their hands, of some pattern that God never ordained. They called upon their God. And they even presented themselves upon the altar kind of like living sacrifices, risking being burned by fire. Verse 27, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. It says he mocked. That means he dealt deceitfully with them. And you may say, well, how was Elijah being deceitful in his mockery? Well, it's what we call sarcasm. Do you see it right there? If you ever wondered if there was sarcasm in the Bible, look at that verse right there. Elijah is being sarcastic. <laughs> he is being sarcastic. He said, cry aloud, as if to cry aloud louder. Maybe Baal will hear you if you'll just turn the volume up a little bit. If he can't hear you for your repetitions, because you've been at this since... Six o'clock this morning, and now it's lunchtime, and you've been over and over asking him to hear you. Maybe you should crank up the volume just a little bit. Cry aloud. Now, the reason that's deceitful is that Elijah knew they should not cry aloud, and that neither volume nor repetition is going to awaken a dead God. And then he said, for he is a God. Again, a deceptive statement. Elijah knew that Baal was no God. He was a false God. But he said that to show the utter foolishness of crying aloud to a non-entity, to one that doesn't exist. And then he further mocked and said, uh, either he is talking, and more often that word is translated as the word complaint. So perhaps Elijah is suggesting that the reason Baal cannot hear them is that Baal is too busy making a complaint against them as if they are not doing enough to get his attention. Now you contrast that with our God, with the God of Elijah. Psalm 34, verse 17 says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. And that's the opposite of what Baal was doing to his worshipers. He wasn't hearing them because he couldn't hear them, and he certainly wasn't answering them, and he can't deliver them out of their troubles. 
Then Elijah continued and said, or he is pursuing. Pursuing is moving away, withdrawing, not necessarily chasing something in this context. It suggests that their God is away from the phone right now. Please leave a message at the tone. That's how we might be sarcastic about it today. And Elijah said, perhaps he he sleepeth. Or peradventure, he sleepeth and must be awaked. Sounds like a God made of flesh, doesn't it? Who has to have sleep in order to function. It sounds like he has to have an attendant to wake him up and make sure he gets up on time for his daily business. But listen to Psalm 121 verses 2 through 4 about our God, the one true God. Psalm 121 verses 2 through 4 where the psalmist wrote, My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So this is an accusation that could only be made about a false god, which is no god, but not about our god. What have you noticed so far about Elijah's mockery of Baal and the prophets of Baal? In all of his mockery, here's what we learn. Baal has none of the attributes that make the Lord God who he is. Is none of them, not one thing. He's a counterfeit. Verse 28, and they cried aloud. Now, this is still the prophets of Baal. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. Again, they cried aloud as we read before. In fact, Elijah encouraged them, go ahead, keep crying aloud. He's a God. Y'all said he is. They cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets. A lancet is a spear. Till the blood gushed out upon them. So their manner, as the text says, was to cause their, listen to this, to cause their own blood to be spilled to make them acceptable to their gods. The blood of sinners poured out to a false god is an unsuccessful attempt at a copyright violation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is about the blood of a righteous Savior being poured out to the one true God to make the sinner acceptable to him. So they had the equation all backwards, didn't they? And a false God, they had unclean sinners offering their blood to try to make themselves acceptable to their God. Satan has tried to counterfeit the gospel over and over in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and it is still as worthy to be mocked today as it was in Elijah's day. But the amount, the number of religious people who appear to embrace it, Brother Fulton and I were sharing this morning about how wonderful it is that our fellow believers in other countries are receiving the the literature, they're receiving the gospel, the truth of the gospel, but all of the literature which points them that way, the seminary courses which we hope to have in, in the hands of many preachers and teachers so they can teach the gospel correctly to people. That, As wonderful as that is, it's sad that those who, very few, who receive that here ever respond back, ever say, 
man, that's been a blessing to me. That's been wonderful. That has helped my church for whatever reason that is. Pride, tradition. We're thankful for those who do receive it. And to those who accept the counterfeit of the gospel, woe unto you. Verse 29. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. These prophets of Baal have now spent nine to 12 hours killing a bullet, jumping on an altar, crying out to Baal, cutting themselves. Can you picture these poor prophets? The theater of my imagination is vivid sometimes. And I can paint these scenes in my mind and think that must be how it was. And I picture these poor prophets. First of all, they have to be hoarse. I get hoarse teaching and then leading singing here in a little while. I'll be a little hoarse when I go home. I can't imagine hollering for 9 to 12 hours to a non-existent God, throwing all everything I have into my voice. So they're hoarse. They're tired, they're covered in blood, and they're out of breath. What a pitiful lot. Perhaps they just sat down with their spears in their hands looking helplessly at each other, shamefacedly at Ahab, that they couldn't stir up old Baal just one more time. You know, this reminds us of a scene, these prophets do, that is to take place in the future when men will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to make an unsuccessful argument about what they've done for God. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, a very familiar passage to you if you know your Bible. Matthew seven twenty-one through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Prophesying in his name, casting out devils, doing wonderful works, calling on the name of Baal, leaping upon the altar, cutting themselves. Those are all fruitless endeavors when it comes to being accepted by God. And without the gospel, they are useless. With the gospel, they're unnecessary. Look back in your text there in verse 29, where it says at the end of the text, end of the verse, that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. The word voice, the word answer, the word regarded. Those are listed in a descending order of power a descending order of the strength of the word. We noticed before that the word voice was translated as the word noise or thunder. So that's a strong word. And then the word answer was translated as speak or testify or witness. And lastly, the word regarded, which we see here. And that word regarded means attention. It's also translated as as hearing. It's the weakest of the three words. Voice down to answer, down to regarded. What does this mean? 
What is being said about the vain efforts of the prophets of Baal? Here it is. To everything they did, nobody thundered, nobody answered, nobody heard, nobody cared. And that statement expresses the value of man's substitutionary work for God. He doesn't regard it. It doesn't mean anything. It ignores the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isaiah put it this way in chapter 64, verse 6 of the book of Isaiah. He said, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now, you picture those prophets of Baal out there doing all these things they thought were right to be accepted by their God, even down to the shedding of blood. And all of that, filthy rags right here. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. These prophets of Baal and all who believed in the effectiveness of their sacrifices fade as a leaf and are taken away by the wind of their iniquities. We have a few moments now to try to dive into verse 30, and perhaps we'll have to end there. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Come near unto me. That's a very Christ-like thing to say, isn't it? This was a long day. This was a stressful day. Those Israelites who had halted between two opinions now had evidence before their eyes that the religion of Baal was a false religion. That much they knew at that time. Many of them must have been scared that the judgment of God would fall upon them perhaps then and there. And when Elijah said, come near unto me, it represents what Jesus tells his weary followers in Matthew eleven twenty eight, when he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's really what those prophets of Baal needed. They needed someone to rest in, not someone to rile up. But they first had to come to Jesus, didn't they, to receive that rest, not with their feet, but with their faith. Yes, they came with their feet. We don't do that. We can't come to Jesus with our feet. In fact, we discourage that because that often replaces coming to him by faith. And it says in verse 30, and all the people came near unto him. That's a lot of people, all the people. After all, the prophets of Baal had lost their audience by now. And if we'll learn from this, we have to admit that that's the first thing that has to happen before you come to Jesus, and that is to realize that the God you served is the wrong one. Whether you served the God of yourself, the God of humanism, atheism, which says there is no God, or the fundamental independent Baptist tradition God, with a little g, your repentance caused you to turn from that false God. And then you turn to Jesus. He said, no man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. And I'm glad God one day drew me away from the false God, from the God of this world whom I had served, whom you had served if you're now a Christian. And then it says in verse 30, 
and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And this is where we'll close. Although all the people came, it appears that only Elijah repaired the simple altar that had broken down. Broken down not only in form, but even more importantly in the hearts of the people of Israel. The brazen altar of the tabernacle was where the blood sacrifices were made, and they represented the Lamb of God who would one day offer himself as the final and only saving sacrifice on behalf of sinners such as those standing around the altar that day. And as only Elijah repaired the broken altar of stone, only Jesus can repair that broken altar in your inner man. Have you halted between two opinions? That broken down altar has been built anew at the cross of Calvary where Jesus once and for all died for your sins. And he says, come near unto me. Will you come or will you sit by the altar of Baal with those priests whose works are nigh unto burning? With that, we'll close. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word, thankful for those who are hungry for it, and ask now that you would take what has been taught and place that in the hearts of the people as they best understand it. And help us by faith not only to believe what we hear, but to live by it and to be strengthened and edified as the body of Christ. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.